and welcome to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Something we've mentioned over the past couple of weeks is that we as a podcast strive to grow the game of rugby in this region and sing the praises of all the amazing people we have across our clubs. For that reason, we always say that we like to get guests on from their clubs off the back of a good win instead of a loss to truly give the side a boost. While that isn't always possible this week, it certainly is, and we've done just that. So it is a pleasure to introduce our guest for the week, Dumfries Saints head coach, Paddy Cooper. Paddy, how's things? Better this week than the last few, but no, uh, riding on a high, so it's nice to be invited on at this point. So yeah, feeling good. We'll get on to why you're maybe feeling a bit better this week, as opposed to some of other some other weeks. We'll have a good chat about what's been happening so far this season. But of course, we need to know a little bit about you, your background, your history. So as, as when my rugby journey started back when I was well pre pre allowed to play rugby, whatever age that was, sort of three four years old, down at Blairgarry Rugby Club, been involved since. So did did my junior stuff, Blairgarry primary four to seven. Then needed to go to Persia uh, because they didn't have a senior sorry youth section at Blairgarry, so played at Persia S one. Up until um, my first senior season, I did there as an a modern apprentice with the SRU coaching. It was an SVQ at the time, so I did that first year senior rugby at Perth. Then I moved to university in Edinburgh. I went to Napier, went and joined Edinburgh Aces. Played, I think it was three seasons. I played there two and a half, three seasons. Got involved with rugby league. Sort of just for fun, university rugby, something a bit different, but that progressed into Scotland students, then Scotland A, then found that I had a bit of a knack for it. So ended up progressing into the professional side, moved from Edinburgh prematurely, uh, ditching the degree to go down to Workington Town, uh, where I took a contract down there. Got involved with the, the full Scotland stuff. I think it was a 2008 World Cup. Ended up going as the the amateur for Scotland there and ended up winning my first cap. Um, so that was the start of that sort of journey. Two years in Workington and then on the way back up to Edinburgh, really. I uh, stopped in at Dumfries. My wife's family's from here. Ties to the rugby club. Her grandfather was a president, Jim McKenzie. So went along to a rugby match with him because he liked having somebody to go with. Then all of a sudden, the jungle drums started uh, speaking. I got a couple of phone calls because I looked the part at least. Went along to a couple of training sessions and that's, that's the, the history it was in me getting to Dumfries. Been there as a development officer with John in the region for a while. Player, player coach, club captain, sort of progressed right through up until my current role over the last sort of, well, probably decade, over a decade now. Worryingly so that I've been there. So that's, that's my journey so far and this season, taking on the, the top job as the, the head coach, pressures and joys that come with that. The first coaching thing you did was really quite early on in this rugby journey that you've talked about. This, this not just this decade at Dumfries, but, but you know before that, doing the first ever little level bit. Was that something that was always something you were keen for? Like not many people do it as early as that when they're still playing, when they're still you know maybe becoming a development officer. It was quite early on. It was, I suppose, serendipity to a point. I was keen on just being a joiner, but I had a bit of natural ability and I sort of had the dream of playing professional rugby. Mum and dad pushed me into sort of seeing that if I went into an apprenticeship of some sort, that was it. Rugby then takes a back seat to, to growing up life. 
So that opportunity became available at Perthshire. There was me and two other guys who the club were keen to try and keep a, keep in with the Colts, uh, Pete Saunders and Brian Mitchell, that you know were good friends, played together, you know, prospects at the club. So that was offered, and it was a I don't want to be in education. I hated school. Like I wasn't a particularly great student, and that was a sort of an avenue into you know it's a year away, you know, a year out doing something that I enjoyed. So I liked rugby, liked being around it. And it was an opportunity to sort of progress myself. And the opportunity at Perth was brilliant. It was Sam Coletta, ex-Simone number eight, who was the, the head coach at the time. So being sort of under his wing as a player and, you know, going to the gym with what was a Jerry Collins lookalike, this giant Samoan man that made sure that you were honest in terms of how you were doing stuff. So, like, there was no question that I was going to progress. So did that for a year. And then the the caveat with my mum and dad was like, go do first year at uni. If you don't enjoy it, come back, start your apprenticeship. That's fine. Yeah, needless to say, I enjoyed the university lifestyle. Again, wasn't much of a student. So I sort of just used that again as a couple of years to play rugby and then progress through, as I said, just to the different levels, the different, the different codes. So enjoyable. John, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the SVQ, you did that as well, did you not? Yeah, I did that. At the SVQ, I was just thinking that. What what year were you, Paddy? What year group did you go through there? I think I think I was in the, the inaugural year. I think we were the first. I think I was the first year to do it. So whatever year, Christ, John, it's over probably two decades ago. Oh, now. Yeah, as me. So I was just trying to go back in my head. I was like, yeah. was it two thousand and five? Two. I I would have been two thousand three or two thousand and four. I think I'm just trying to figure out how old I am now. Um, so I would have been about 20 years ago, um, just straight out of high school. So I would have been 17, 18. So I, 2003, 2004, I think it would have been. Yeah, because we, we're around about the same age. So if you you mm-hmm. must have did it just coming out of S4, I did it coming out of S6. Yeah. So maybe I was just slightly after you. We missed each other. Part would be maybe. I, did, I, managed to, I managed to stay at school for the sixth year. So I was straight from school that I did it, but I, I was... I'm sure I was 19 when I went to uni, so whenever I was sort of 17, 18, I did it. I think I'm 37 now, so like 20 years ago. To think, to think the legacy that SVQ programme has. Huh? I know, just some, some greats have been churned out from it. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, mate. <laughs> We're just mugging off to keep going, that's the problem. <laughs> that's it, it's, it's the addiction that rugby gives some people, like you just can't walk away, so. And then, Paddy, when it came to coming to Dumfries, you gave us a little bit of an insight there on on basically why you've come down. That's often, it sounds like a bit of a harsh question or like a backhanded comment when I ask why people come down here. But, you know, you gave us a little snippet there. Is it something that you took to straight away, Dumfries Saints? I know you had a little bit of the history there uh, in your family, but, you know, it's, it's, it's often a club that people go to once and then they're there for for a long time in many different capacities like yourself. What I mean, I would say that the Saints were, were welcoming straight off the bat. You know, big part of why I stayed was just you know general life um, and staying in the game. It definitely made it easier that they had a sort of drive towards something bigger than what they were, and that that that's remained within the club. There's always that push to you know we want to go and we want to progress and we want to do different things, and and that's something that sort of engaged me with the club in terms of why I stayed there. Like I would I would play rugby just to play rugby. Being made welcome and felt welcome at that club certainly um, was why 
I stayed. We didn't push really to get back up the road. Um, like I've got ties up in Edinburgh, further up at Perth. You know, we could have really ended up anywhere, but you know, the we stayed and they were really welcoming. Again, they, they bent over backwards for me, and I'd like to think that I've got, done my bit to repay that sort of trust that they showed in an early day for me, and try to help develop the club and, and be do my part within it. So um, it was definitely a big, big, big sell for me, but. The ease of life down here, um, in terms of like we've now got kids and my wife's family's from Dumfries, you know, that makes it easier. My nieces and now we nephews down here, and then it's just traveling up to see my side of the family. It's the only sort of drawback from um, the sort of Dumfries and Galloway area for us. But again, with the families being both sides of the country, really, it was we we're gonna have to pick at one point. And you mentioned there about giving back to Dumfries, which I think everyone would agree you certainly have. But obviously the playing side came first. I'm interested to know how then the the deal came about. Was it was it quite an easy transition in the way that, you know, you'd been there for a while, it, you were you maybe showed some interest in it and then you easily slipped into it, or was that a bit more of a a longer transition period? No, I mean well, when I was down at down at Workington, as much as I was down there I'd doing the sort of full-time player thing. I did the development role down there. I was in the schools. I was doing schools coaching. When I was at university, as much as I don't have the degree, it was sports coaching. So it was always a realm that I was going to go into. And then even transitioning from Workington, uh, I did six months as a talent coach for the Cumbria, for the RFL. So the sort of looking at the the England setup down there and, and working with age-grade teams. So I Development was always an area that I was interested in and sort of saw myself progressing into to allow me to, again, continue to play rugby that little bit longer and, you know, be around the, the rugby environment, which is something that, you know, I just love being around any anybody who wants to speak about rugby. I'm quite happy to sit and chew their ear off. So it was something that the club saw that or knew that or the discussion came up and it was Bosman Duplessis at the time. He was a deal and he was going on to bigger, bigger things. So there was a an opening there. Um, that the club were quite keen to fill with somebody that, that knew what they were doing and had that sort of aspiration. So, again, as I said, serendipity. I came along at the right time to sort of fill a role and made myself at home with with the Saints. So it all works out, I suppose. And then, obviously, the um, next progression was, you know, being a coach, being a player coach, and now full-time first 15 coach was... When that opportunity came along, how did you feel about that? Were you really into your deal because you've said it was something you you really you really were interested in but you know you almost had to choose at that point then between between the coaching between the deal I know they kind of overlap they come hand in hand in many aspects but deal or first 15 coach and and it might have must have had you a little bit torn I mean it was really one of these roles that I was coming I mean I was still relatively young enough that you know competing wasn't an issue but I saw I saw the light at the end of the tunnel or, or the where I was going in terms of my body was going. There was going to have to be a transition at one point, albeit I think I've retired about seven times from playing so far. And that, that tally is always open to negotiation at times. But it was something that when the opportunity was there, like I always saw myself as a bit of a leader anyway. I, I was always quite happy to speak to coaches and discuss things. So when I was asked if I would help out, in the assistant coaching role, I was always quite happy to do it. 
as I've said to a couple of senior players, it's a really good way to extend your sort of career. I mean, I laughed and joked with players last season, certainly, that, you know, I saw myself as a vintage car. You know, you tinker with me midweek, but you don't really do too much just to get that run out on the Saturday. So again, it's when you look at certain players in this area, you know, the older older guys, you know, Davey Armstrong and stuff for the Stewart's last year, Jack Steele for us this year. It's it's looking at how do you how do you extend that little bit of playing to give back the absolute most you can. And that, that player coaching role's really good and, you know, for any for anybody who's been around the clubs and our club men like like Sir Jack for, for the Saints, you know, it's 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 an integral thing and peer to peer learning, you know, going from that, just learning by playing with the guy to then actually him having that direct role to say, look, do this, do that. This is what I did. Um, it's a sort of natural progression for a lot of guys who have that in them. So um, I just, I took to that fairly well. It was an exciting opportunity again to sort of explore something different. The development roles very much, you know, kids based, you know, bringing through the younger folks or so getting to work with adults and really hone in on the tactical side of the game at times was a different challenge and something that was quite exciting. So I enjoyed that. John, absolutely everything Paddy's just said must feel pretty familiar to you. When we talk about giving back to your clubs, I think it's fair to say, John, you, you've done more than enough to give back to Stuart Tree, but you've done it in all of those same roles. You've been a player, you've been a player coach, you've been a first team coach, you've been a DO. Everything Paddy said is is you can just copy and paste, as we always say on this podcast, copy and paste to you. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very common rugby thing, isn't it? Take so much from the game as a player, that when you get to a certain age, well, there becomes a time where you sort of feel like you have to give back and you have to give those opportunities back to other people that come after you. So, like, rugby clubs will always be the same. There'll always be that cycle at the minute because, obviously, we're doing this podcast that we're talking about me and Paddy doing that. But in 10 years' time, there's going to be another youngster that's going to do the exact same, the exact same pathway. And if you go... 10, 15, 20 years in the future, you see the likes of John Lowe, you've got Russell Marchant, you've got, you know, guys over in Newton Stewart, guys at Shire that have all followed the same sort of pathway that they've enjoyed playing, they've transitioned into potentially coaching, they then go into sort of administration, club administration, sponsorships, committee, doing all that sort of stuff. And then when they get to the end, they retire and it's that's what keeps rugby clubs alive. That's why it's that's why it's a player's game. And that's why clubs have to look after the players and make sure that they get so much from it that they then want to give back. We've talked about Paddy, we've talked about you, John, but I, the other day I, when we talked about getting Paddy on, you mentioned that combining the two of you together now, you mentioned that you even remember sitting in in meetings and writing up plays or, or something like that. It was along those lines, was it not? Yeah, I remember... Was a meeting in Kilmarnock, I'm sure, and uh, oh, well, maybe probably shouldn't be saying this because obviously Scottish will probably listen to this. But we were sitting in the meeting and we were we were rabbiting on about something that we'd heard 150 times. Um, and Paddy had a wee notebook in front of him, and I could see him drawing, scribbling a play, like I think it was off the back of a lineout or off the back of a scrum, and, and then the subsequent three plays off the back of that, whilst trying to figure out what the defence was doing at the same time to then try and figure out how he would defend his own move. And it was just it was just funny because I I used to sit and do the same thing when sat when I was bored. Not saying Paddy was bored in the meeting obviously, but 
there's a strong suggestion that they maybe was. <laughs> but you would then try and draw the play, how you would then counter that, how you would then counter the counter, and so on and so forth. And that's that was just how you developed. That was just things that happened. Do you remember doing that, Paddy? Was that just constant every day? Does Louise feel you drawn on her back, drawing a play? <laughs> I mean, doodling's always been part of part of the, the sort of when my my mind starts to wander. But I, I mean, it is like there's it's that sort of chess side of the game that there's intricacies of it, and a lot of people they just you know they just do it to run around. That's fine, um, but they're like the sort of students of the game, I suppose you'd say that that like to figure stuff out. And you know, how how do I do this? How do we progress? How do we you know take take things that I've learned? And put it into my own game. So yeah, I you'd probably find notebooks of mine from years ago that I've got scribbles in them that probably make no sense to anybody. I mean, I think I've sent out stuff this season that I've already said. I said this makes perfect sense to me, lads. If it might be hieroglyphics to you, if it's useful for you, keep it. If it's not, just bin it off. I'll try and explain stuff verbally, and, and you know, it's just to try and get what I see in rugby across. And again, having those little doodles, and you know. If it makes sense to somebody, it sort of makes me happy, I suppose, to a degree. But it's something that I've always enjoyed doing, and it's you know it's how I've always learned. I'm a bit of a visual learner, practical learner. Like I need to run stuff or or, or see it. Folk can speak to me all day, but it doesn't always necessarily go in. Speaking of that progression, Paddy, there's and this isn't to say that it's obviously only happens at Dumfries or has been happening at Dumfries because it happens at every single club. You know, going through peaks and troughs both on and off the pitch. But how you having been at Saints for quite a long time now, you must have seen, you know, some really good years, some some struggle years. You're in a rebuild at the moment. It's, it's re- it really has been a roller coaster of highs and lows, I suppose. Is, have you found that at, at Saints? Yeah, I mean the the sort of area the the area, the sort of geography down here is similar to the likes of Perth where like I grew up so there's a lot of a lot of things that are similar I mean as soon as you step away from the central belt you're faced with basically the same challenges from the development side you know if if you're not retaining two to three seniors two to three 18 sorry into your senior game you, you are struggling and you'll get to that point and again it just came to that that point every every team in the area will have it you'll have uh, five or six guys that'll come up from a strong Colts team they all stay in the area you know but then when one tends to retire, the rest go, ah, yeah, I'll retire as well. So then you've got that excess. So if you don't if you don't backfill and do do things really intelligently over that sort of ten year period, you find yourself in that trouble. Um, just with the again the geography of the area. So, you know, agricultural work is a big thing, you know, apprenticeships. We don't have a university per se that's bringing in, you know, your your rugby players from all across the world that you know are going to look for a local club to play like I mean my story going to Edinburgh was you know you had your you had your pick of what team you wanted to go and play for at what level you wanted to play for I picked Aki's because my brother was there you know getting a chance to go and play with him so we've got those challenges and we've just gone through that period and we had an exodus of players just because it was their time to, to sort of hang the boots up as much as I've been on it a few of them, just, you know, it's not quite time yet. You know, I was 36, 37 before I really gave up. And there's always that niggle at the back of the head that I could probably do another season if I really, really, really wanted it as much as my body would probably disagree. But it just it is that point. And, you know, you go through highs and 
you know, we've been blessed a lot with certain players in certain positions. You look at like of Tom Martin, who's up at air now, absolutely phenomenal hooker, but he was young. He is still young. Anybody looking around the club went, well, the guy's practically invincible. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to play hooker. So when Tom progressed, he went up there and he's doing amazingly well up there. All of a sudden we're, we're stuck for no hookers because everyone's like, well, I need to diversify. I need to find a different position. So then you've got guys who haven't routinely been thrown in because they were experimenting as back rows or, or front rows. Right? And we've got a lot of talent there as players, you know, young guys coming through. Mackenzie Ross, who's, to be fair, he's, he's looked really good at training with his throws. So he's, he's sort of taken on that challenge. Young Ross Hamlet, who, again, is phenomenal back row, but, you know, he's, he's got that potential to go into the uh, prop, could transition to hooker. And there are some other guys who are hitting that sort of level where they go, with our team especially, you know, our back row is incredibly strong. So am I going to get a place there or am I a modern hooker where, you know, you're basically a seven that can throw the ball in. So there's guys that are going to experiment, but it's the same sort of challenge where the area is what it is. And, you know, you, you can only keep so many people and it's about developing what you've got and building. So as you said, we're in a re, we're in a rebuilding phase because we've gone through that sort of slump. But, you know, you're looking at the prospects of the Saints. We've got four, five hundred youth players signed up. So they will come through. And it's just how do you retain them into the senior game? But that's probably the question that John, like me, asked the entire time that we were in the game at, at, at our respective clubs because it's the biggest challenge that we've got, really. I'm, just, I'm going to pick you up on, on two points, Paddy. First of all, Ross and McKenzie, you're welcome. Products of CD High School. Coaching John Muir. <laughs> I've, I've had to do a fair bit of work with him, John, to be fair. <laughs> Rebuilding them. The second one was exactly that, that that retention. So I know we, we spoke obviously earlier in the week about trying to get uh, organised coming on. You were at the retention workshop last night. Just very briefly, I don't want really to spend too much time on it, but based on what we obviously you knew from your previous spell at Scottish Rugby, fast forward, Probably about ten years now, eh? To to now, was there anything you picked up from that that you thought, do you know what, that's that's a bolt of lightning that we can share with the rest of the teams around about DNG that maybe didn't get there? I, th- I think there's a lot of good things coming out. I mean, the the workshop there was was really looking at the sort of general brush strokes, and the SRU and or are coming in to do individual club workshops, looking at club development plans, which I've got myself in engaged with with the Saints as well so you know there's, there's why not have more jobs to do um, but again it's something that I, I quite enjoy looking at those problems and like how do, how do we build it and where where do I fit into that picture eureka moments or epiphany moments you know it's it's really just looking at how, how do you identify the roadblocks for players staying um, and how do you overcome it uh, one of the things that we spoke about was you know is it that level of anxiety that the 18s going into seniors are now looking, going, I, I don't feel big enough, you know, I don't think I'm ready, I'll, I'll just walk away. And then how do you overcome that? So, again, from my point of view, it was always, well, they're more than welcome to come with us, like come and train with us. Like we we train on the same park anyway, so it was, we've done run-through, unopposed run-throughs sort of with one another at key stages over the last couple of years anyway. Whereas it was flipped around, do you go to them? 
do do you take three or four of your players? Do you go and coach them so you get that introduction? So just just looking at it from a different point of view at times is, is always helpful. But it's just it's the different challenges, and I know I know where I stand on it in terms of how how do you try and get these guys to to come and play, and it's all about your, the, the sort of culture at your club, the social side. Somebody had asked me, you know, what what is your what is the culture? What do you want it to be? I suppose the easiest way for me to say it was, you know, the 97 Lions, living with the Lions. That, that's, to me, that was the epitome of, I say amateur rugby, although that was the first sort of era where it had gone professional. But it was that idea that, you know, the, the social side is is right up there in terms of your priorities. So the guys coming through need to see that there's a strong social side. There's There's that fun at the end of the day it's not just about battering yourself Tuesday Thursday Saturday you know the the rugby is just the vehicle for the sort of social and the fun and you know how, how you develop as a person post you know school like where do you keep these engagements and, and your friendships there so that's a big part of it for me and sort of the senior players have that role to sort of be in the spotlight, I suppose, within the club to go, you know, that's that looks like a good role. I want to be that guy. So that that for me is where it stands or where I can best influence it, I suppose. Barry, just before we move on to this season, I wanted to quickly ask when we're talking about those, you know, peaks and troughs, high points, low points. Obviously, as we said, we're in a little bit of a rebuild situation at Saints at the moment and there was the relegation last year. I think I probably know the answer to this question, but was it maybe a little bit tough thinking about taking this this first 15 head coaching role when you know that there's challenges? There's always going to be challenges, of course, but there's a lot of things that you need to work on to get that trajectory back on the up. The toughest negotiation would have been with Louise, I would imagine, Paddy. Would that well, be it? Yeah, I, I mean, my agent definitely... Came in and, and she played her she played her part, but no, my apprehension was never about where we were as a club. You know, obviously coming down, you that that's a big challenge. Like everybody knows, winning win is winning is habitual. You know, it's a habit. So is losing. Like when you get into that rut, it, it's it's hard to break out of it. And um, but that was never. I mean, I'm a glutton for punishment with most things that I do. So it, that was never something that put me off. My only reservations came with my general day-to-day life, working shifts, managing it to to be able to do it the best that I could. And again, it's you know it's one of those things that it just worked out this year. The the sort of games that I needed to be a night shift, I was a night shift. If I needed to be off, I was off. You know, a lot of the home games fell on back shifts, so it was just a case that I could be at the game, I could be present. Um, and I wasn't just a token figure uh, within the club when I, well, Paddy will do it, you know, that's fine. He's got a good way about him or whatever the appeal for them to want me was. But it just worked out. And again, it's just the next step in my journey, I suppose. Like, I always wanted to do something. I always wanted to be part of coaching. And it was nice to get the opportunity with a group of guys that that, that know me because a lot of them have played with me or they've experienced me as a DO or been in and around the club when I've I've done something stupid or or sort of lived up to what my expectation is of the social side, I suppose you'd say. So it's easier to get that sell, I think, to go, look, this is what I think rugby is. This is my vision for rugby. This is what I got out of it. This is what I think you can get out of it. 
but it comes down to the the give and take is you've got to put in what you're going to get out. So that's the ethos that I've taken into the role. So it's it's just all sort of worked out. I would never have turned it down uh, unless it was going to impact the sort of family and stuff outside of work. So it was just the next progression, I suppose. And serendipity again, as I've said, it just it, it's worked out. So whether it was meant to be or somebody's punishing me for something, I don't know. And then when it comes to this season alone, much like what we've been saying for the past couple of seasons at Dumfries, very much a mixed bag. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these that I think every time that I've messaged John about the the games and the results, I mean, I'd like to think that I've come across quite positively in it. Every game that we've gone into, even after the result, I've looked at it from the point of like from a performance point of view, we we're never far away. It's been the at times just that experience level, you know, little mistakes. And that's what it is like I mean, just try to think, well, Hill Head at the second game of the season. We just didn't get off the bus. It was a young team that had never travelled. Hill Head were very vocal. They were an experienced team. They'd had guys back. The second half, it, they'd only scored one try against us once we'd woken up and got into the game. So it shows that we've got we've got the ability and the players are able to do it. It's just brushing off that naivety, which, and again, full circle this week, you could see the maturity already in them from having that exposure. But the emphasis that I've always put on the players is, look, we're performance-orientated. If you're going out and you're performing well, results will come. If you focus on the results, you know, your performance... It's not a two-way street. You don't get to focus on that, that side of the equation and things work out. So the focus has always been on performance and, you know, I've been happy with the individuals performing um, and it's just been little moments that have let us down at times, you know, brain farts here and there or just at times we've almost been too attacking, left ourselves open at the backfield, how a five scored three or four tries against us where it was just a case that they were faster. And they had a five-metre head start because we put everything into our attack, which, again, from my my point of view, like that's what I want us to do. I want us to be an exciting attacking team. So if we're going to lose points, like, like we can figure that stuff out further down the season and how we scramble. But it was really exciting to watch. And it's what, what I want to see in the rugby teams that I'm involved in is that we go for it. You know, why not? Uh, you got to enjoy the rugby you're playing and nobody enjoys just doing defence for 80 minutes or just picking going for 80 minutes. It might win games and stuff, but, you know, it's amateur. You're giving up your time. You know, nobody's giving you a check at the end of the day. If, if you've enjoyed your 80 minutes, that's what it's about. And playing that attack and free-flowing rugby is certainly how I enjoyed it. And we're starting to see the, the rewards of pushing that within the, the coaching setup that we've got at Saints this year. And as you said, you ever so slightly touched on it there, but everything has come full circle for that team from the from the second game of the season. The weekend just passed there, 47-15. You've got to be pretty chuffed with that. Something that I've said to the boys, like, once the little things, once these little bits fall into place, it was going to be inevitable that we would have done that. I think the, the biggest part of it for me or what I was happiest with is that we set out with a plan and the boys just executed that plan. They, they didn't veer away from it like we probably would have done in Years gone by where we went, all right, we've got the ascendancy, we'll just throw the ball about now in the 22. You had that maturity from what is a relatively young halfback pair in Kier Patterson and Jack Curry. 
they just kicked to the corner, like we said. We backed our defence. We let the hillhead make mistakes. Then we took the ball and we played in their 22 to their 10 metre, which was exactly what we needed to do. And it showed a real maturity from the team to be able to do that. And that sort of ruthlessness that came to go, we're here now, we're going to take points, we're going to take points. And that's something that, again, over the past few seasons, we've not been particularly good at, not just the start of this one. So that was that was the, the exciting bit for me to go, we can now stick to that plan. So everything that we're doing in training is going to start to then come out in the games. And if we can continue to scramble like we did in defence and our defence sort of continues to improve like it is, you know, we're we're on for some exciting games to come, which will be nice to see. And no game this weekend, but training going ahead as normal? This is something that I've said as well. Like the, the real proof in the pudding for me will be when the second 15 this week play Mar thirds. My time, certainly my time at the club, you'd be rare to see other senior players down on weeks that say the second 15 didn't have a game because it was to a degree just disjointed. Whereas we had 13, 14 of the senior training squad there, all vying for the shirt, all wanting to wanting to be there. So the fact that they were down watching the game and the, the boys that played set out the, that marker to go, look, this is, if you want my shirt, you're going to have to come and get it. Um, and the excitement in the, the the sort of clubhouse afterwards, boys coming up to me going, look, what do I have to do? What do I have to do this week? And I was like, look, let's face it, you're going to have to go out and get man in a match against Mark. Um, the guy in your shirt was phenomenal. Like, to get that shirt now, you're going to have to do that. So it'll be exciting to see that game this week. And it'll be good for me. Like I, I get to go down and, and run that team as well. To be able to watch them firsthand, being a big push of mine that, Everybody involved, whether you know whether you think you you can or think you can't, like you're the shirts up for grabs every week. It's your attitude to training. It's how you perform. So again, this is one of those moments for the guys who are vying for a shirt that want to play in the the, the Hamilton game in two weeks. You know you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to show that you can take that shirt from the guy that, that played well against Hillhead, and it, it was. Probably the most positive thing, certainly Paddy McClatchy and Jack Steele said it, that this week at training there was that first feeling for a long time at the Saints where there was almost that nervousness going, My, I'm not saying, like, I'm not a given that I'm going to be in this shirt like it probably was in time gone by, where, you know, you could almost pencil in your first 15 week in, week out, whereas now it is the certainly what I've tried to do is get that culture where you don't play, you don't. You don't train, you don't play well, you know, you're not pushing for that shirt. Like you've got to show that you want it and, and have that competition and training. And that's starting to come through, which I think is probably the biggest part of the win at the weekend. Like we've got 32 guys regularly training now, all wanting that wanting a piece of that match day stuff for the first 15 and everyone's prepared to dig in and work. So that's probably the big thing. So this weekend is going to be pivotal for us, I think, as a culture to really show where we're at. You more or less answered my question there, to be honest with you, but I was just going to ask about probably from when you first went to Dumfries as a player to now, not just the vying for possessions, first 15, second 15, but now obviously this season, a ladies team as well. That whole progression as a club must have been, must have been and still be fantastic to watch. The, the the ladies team, they've nailed what I said in terms of the social side. Like They've absolutely nailed that. And you can see the enjoyment that they're having. And again, it's starting to translate. Like I was down on Sunday there watching the sort of wee mini tournament they had at home, which was their first home game, I think, in 25 years. 
and there's some real talent in that women's team. Really strong ball carriers, fearless in defence, and as yet for them, it's learning the game. But you know, given the fact that we had our ladies' night on that Saturday, and uh, the majority of them were fresher than I felt, and I'd only had half of what they probably drank, so they've nailed it, and it's it's exciting to be a part of that side as well because we try and we try and link in. We're starting to build the links between all the squads now. Um, and again, touching on the, the fact that we had senior players down watching the senior men's, for the, which was in great numbers. I think probably 70% of the senior team were down watching the senior women's. So again, for them, I would like to think that they felt that support. They felt welcomed and, and uh, they are a big part of the club. So to, to have the senior men's team down supporting them, kids down supporting them, Hopefully that was as special for them as it probably was for the club as a as a sort of moment in in our history at Saints. Just two things to finish off. Then first of which is kind of what you're you're hoping for in the next couple of years. I mean, you've got a check next to the player column. You've got a check next to coach, player coach, development officer. Is it is it something that you just want to stick in for a while with the, with the coaching for as long as possible? Is there another step after that, president, or what? What where is the future taking you? I, I think I've two young boys at the club as well, Jack and Rory, my sons. So coaching is definitely going to be part of my my remit, whether it's seniors or juniors. But I, I think there's progression for me still as a coach. I've taken this on in the prospect that you know my plans over two seasons, but again the club the club are very understanding in terms of I have to be there and if my shifts don't align for a second year then it's a discussion that we have. I'd like to think I'm relatively humble in the fact that like I don't feel the need that I've been head coach that I couldn't take that step back down just to be an assistant or a skills coach or something to to still do my part but again I, I'm enjoying the challenge at the minute of being at the, the head of the, the spear I suppose and it's it been my rugby that we're trying to play and my vision for it so I'd like to progress, stay in that role, uh, at least for the two seasons, and, and take this to a, a satisfying conclusion for myself. I'm enjoying the prospect, potentially again to spectate for a while, and then just be in and around the club. I've always fancied that kit man role where you're there or thereabouts, but with no real responsibility and just get to enjoy the social side. Pick some nice tracksuits for the lads to wear and, and, and do that sort of thing, but who knows? As I said, like never thought I'd fall into rugby league. Ended up taking me on a different path. Wouldn't have guessed in a million years that I'd ended up in Dumfries and here. Now become a sort of relatively main part role sort of here. So who knows what tomorrow will bring? Certainly, my coaching team's teed up for taking on the mantle when I step down. Jack Steele's got a huge amount of talent. His visions for rugby's right up there. Paddy McClatch is a character that anybody would want in and around their team. As a forwards coach, he's, he's come on considering, again, for him, it was, I'm injured at the minute. I want to stay involved in rugby. It potentially wasn't something that he was necessarily looking for, but he's taken to like a duck to water. The boys, you know, love being coached by him from what I can see. And he's he's brilliant to work with. And then the guys behind the scenes, like Sir Ross Strawbridge, a more committed guy you couldn't meet, Liam Dewar as well. Like he's one of the guys that's constantly in and around the club. So there's a lot of prospects there that, you know, when I take when it's time for me to step down, they're not going to be shorter, capable people to take on the mantle. So just take it as it comes, I suppose. Just on that, Paddy, 
<clears throat> I'm sitting here rocking a, a fairly dodgy tash, c- celebrating obviously November, in the month of November. Saints have got their own little mental health programme that you're running. See you were the star attraction in video number one, Jack, number two. Just chat to us a little bit about that. Is that is that part of the culture? Is that part of what you're trying to build? I think, I mean, historically, you look at anything to do with men, it's, you know, big boys don't cry, all that nonsense from days gone by. Rugby was the, the sort of, you could look at it as like, you know, these giant men who run into each other at full tilt, you know, broken noses, no bother, I'll keep playing. You know, split eyes, that's fine, just rub a bit of Vaseline on it. Whereas when you look deeper in the sport, a lot of the connections that guys make, you know, it is that camaraderie. So it's not so much a case of how are we going to do this to sort of within the club. It's it's just bringing a little bit of awareness to to guys that like me. Like my my philosophy on everything is that we come down to training. Like almost selfishly for me, it's I want to build it build it around the fact that you know if you don't want to play, you don't have to play. If you're too old to play, or you just want to be involved in the touch games because it's all games based training we do now you know come down be part of something and you know a big part of it is that rugby's therapy to certain people I mean anybody that's been involved in rugby whether they know it or not you know it's been around you know groups of guys who take the piss out of one another um, who have a laugh and a joke that the fact that you can let out aggression in a safe environment where you know you can belt somebody in training and you stand up and you shake their hand because your pals at the end of the day it's a safer space to sort of, you know, let let your emotions out in a in that way. For for most men, it's 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 that way that it's just bringing that little bit of light to in a society now where it is very prevalent. Like you're encouraged to speak and you're encouraged to to take onus of your own mental health. It's more just a case of that's where it fits for me and you know my day to day life. I see it. I deal with people all the time that are struggling and having that avenue is quite good so I just think it's one of these things that we need to speak about more and rugby is a vehicle for many many things and you know men's mental health is just one of those passengers on that particular train that you're you know it's it's one of the reasons that we're involved in the game or stay involved in the game so it's more just a case of highlighting that I suppose. Barry that takes us perfectly onto our last little section because not only is it about mates, about rugby, uh, but also, as you said, a little bit of taking the piss out of each other. So we've got 10 quickfire teammates for, for yep. your boys at Dumfries. We're just going to rattle through them. Whoever comes to your mind first, give us a shout. Right. Who's the hardest trainer, hardest working? Uh, I'd probably say Blair Dick. The loudest in the dressing room? Jason Macari now, the South African lad that's come across. He, he's probably... Oh. Everybody else is a mute pretty much in comparison to Jason. Worst dresser? I'll probably have to take that mantle for myself. Started to don the, the bow tie at the weekend, as much as I thought it was quite dapper. Like I was getting some mixed looks. Who spends the longest in front of the mirror? Ross Strawbridge. Who's got the worst taste in music? Yeah, I don't know actually it's all very modern young people music so it's all fairly terrible to my ears what about the most naturally talented there's quite a lot at the team I'd probably say Keir Patterson 
the the rugby brain on him is is is, is huge um, in terms of a nine. It's, he's really good to watch. He's very mature in how he plays, and that's a big part. That's probably natural. Just that's him. Who's the prankster in the dressing room? The big joker. Probably Scott Goodwin. I would say he takes the takes that mantle. Is there anyone you've got that's lazy in training, but when they need to, they're just world cap, world class. Game day, they can just switch it on. Lazy, no. Laid back. There's a few that you know. I mean, to be fair, I fit that mantle as well. Like, you know, I was laid back until the whistle went. But I would say Ian Carlisle is fairly relaxed about how he does stuff. But again. He's definitely not lazy. He's probably one of the hardest working away from the park. But when you see him running around the training, it's you know it's stuck off the water's back. He's fairly relaxed about most things. The hardest, Aidan Little certainly. He's new to or new back into rugby. He fancies himself a bit, um, and he's got a bit of bite, which is which is nice to see from a front row. So I'll give Aidan that at the minute. And the last one is best to take with you on a night out. Um, Liam Dewar I mean he's he's going to last the distance I think he lasted till half six in the morning on Sunday but he's an absolute liability for the best of times so you'll either get arrested or have the time of your, your life probably with him Perfect Paddy thank you very very much for coming on the podcast today it's clear to see your passion for the game and, and how much you've given back to Dumfries and we, can, we only wish that that continues the results keep uh, keep coming in after last weekend. Have a good rest this weekend and all the best for Hamilton Bulls next weekend. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. It was enjoyable. Cheers. You're listening to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, bringing you the latest updates, captivating interviews and in-depth analysis of the sport we love. And now we have some exciting news for our listeners. This season we are proudly sponsored by BE Uniforms, the clothing partner of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. They have been providing top quality workwear and rugby kits for over 34 years, serving rugby clubs, schools and businesses across Scotland and the north of England. What sets BE Uniforms apart is their commitment to quality and their extensive experience in the industry. With 10 retail stores spread across the region, they are the largest uniform company in the area. They've partnered with renowned brands like Canterbury and Macron, making them the go-to destination for all your rugby kit needs. From Melrose to Oban and beyond, BE Uniforms has been supplying top quality rugby kits to clubs all over Scotland. So, if you're gearing up for the 2023-24 season... And looking for a reliable kit supplier, we highly recommend checking out BE Uniforms. Visit their website at beuniforms.com to explore their impressive range of rugby kits and workwear options. But that's not all. Did you know that BE Uniform hosts the podcast shop on their website? Now you can go show your support for the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast by purchasing exclusive DG Rugby Pod merch. We want to express our sincere gratitude to BE Uniforms for their support in bringing you this season of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Now, let's get back to the action on the field. Stay tuned for more captivating interviews and insightful previews 
and reviews of all the thrilling rugby happening across Dumfries and Galloway. Welcome back to part two of this 49th Dumfries and Galloway rugby podcast episode. The big 5-0 is next week. So we've got nothing immensely special for this second part. You know what the script is by now if you've listened to the last 49 episodes, 48 episodes, I suppose. Time for the results roundup. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight results to go through. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine fixtures to preview. Starting with a very... I would say odd one, something I didn't expect. Don't know about you, John. But Newton Stewart were at home over the weekend against Last Wade. And believe it or not, the end score was six. Six. I messaged Wiley on Saturday, Saturday night, with just the line I'm looking forward to a match report from a six six scoreline. And the message came back, yes, Slim Pickens. I'll try and make it as entertaining as Ross Strawbridge's reports, though. So this is Wiley's attempt at living up to the legend that is <laughs> Ross. But as we said, as you would imagine from a 6-6, there's, there's not a lot of highlights. The game did start well with Newton Stewart going 3-0 up in the first five minutes from a Jack goal penalty. They then made it 3-3 on the stroke of half time. Jack then got early points in the second half to make it 6-3, and they followed up with one of their own, Liss Wade, followed up with another penalty of their own. It felt like a loss for Wiley in his charges, which shows the standard that they set, but it was definitely tricky conditions. It was definitely a game that was all about defence. Both teams had some chances, but the defences just ended up on top during the game. They are the league leaders for a reason. Uh, they're very difficult to play against. So to come away with a draw, although Wiley says it's a lot, feels like a loss, probably because they had opportunities to score, it's still not a loss. Do you get the points for the draw? It's probably one of the first games that they've not been able to score yet this season. Not much to say. 6-6. It's like something out of the 50s when you only got one point for a try. But that's what it is. It's what happened. Defences on top of that game. Obviously, we had Paddy chatting about how the Saints got on. So we won't go into too much depth, but really good to see, John, something we've really been hoping for, for the Saints could turn a fortunes. 47-15 at home to Hillhead. Yeah, listen, Saints for the tough last couple of weeks, as, as Paddy says, it was good to see them back to winning ways, and especially with that 47-point scoreline. Like, as, as he said just earlier on, it's all about attack. That's that's what he's been looking on. That's what the blocks have been so far this season that he's been trying to build with. And it certainly seemed to click at the weekend there. So tries came from Fergus Clarkin. He got two. Ryan Cruikshank, Kelly Bryan, Alex Bryden, Jason back from his return home, I think, probably. And Andrew Whiteford rounding up all the scorers there for the Saints. So well done to them. Another big win on the results round up, Roscoe. Stewartry 52, Perthshire 8. Now, I believe 
there was a change in ten. John Pickin, after you laying the gauntlet down to him and saying, come and get the che- 10 jersey back, seems like he's done just that. Yeah, this is a bit of a bittersweet one for me to go through, if I'm completely honest with you. <laughs> no, I was away in London for, for a mate's birthday, so I was always going to miss this one. Chuff for John, though, to be fair. By all accounts, both him and the team had a good game, and it being his 150th to get it at home, Run out in front of a Greenlock crowd must have been good. I'm just sad I missed it. So obviously I wasn't at the game, so I don't know that every I don't know every single in and out. But as I say, a really comfortable win in the end. Perser only scored a penalty in the first half, and being able to do the double over them in the end after winning 24-12 in the second game of the season. The Halftime score was 33-3. So, you know, things were already comfortable. I think they were dominating the game. I'm sure John was pulling all the strings at, at 10. So maybe that jersey is is not going to be on my back anytime soon. But we'll see. Both TJ McCarney and Lockie Spence grabbed two tries, which is also bittersweet because I'm, I'm chuffed for them. But... TJ is now pulling away in the top try scorers list. He's got seven. And Lockie's only played three games this season so far, and he's scored four, which is class from him. Sam Tate, Archie Nicholson, Jason Forsyth, and Angus Lindsay grabbed one try each to take it to eight tries in total. And as I say, as you say, John, 52-8, which means we now sit in fifth with 30 points having won six, lost five, and are just one point off fourth-placed North Berwick, who we still have to play down there, but we beat up here, if you follow what I'm trying to say. So positives all round, I've got to say, positives all round. We've got a break this weekend, which is great, but we'll come on to that in the... Well, great for me, but we'll come on to that in the in the fixtures in just a minute. But yeah, 52-8, you've got to be happy with that. Gutted I wasn't there, but well done to the boys for getting it done. In West 1, we had two buys, Annan and Shire. But in East 1, we had Langham in a very tightly contested game against Forrester. In the end, came out Langham 25, Forrester 21. Yes, and we managed to follow the game on, on the, tw- the club's Twitter feed. So Forrester took an early 7-0 lead after about seven minutes um, for Langham. Bailey Donaldson to pull back the score on the 23-minute mark, which meant the half-time score going in was Langham 5, Forrester 7. So all the scoring happened in the second half. There was then another try from Forrester on 44 minutes before Jay Gordon managed to get a try back the Twitter feed then stops there. So that is as far as we got. Obviously, there was more tries happened after that. Langham sneaking the victory in what looks like a really closely contested game backwards and forwards. Nobody really getting their noses really out in front. So that would have been a highly entertaining game over in Langham uh, with Langham taking the spoils. Moffat also had a bye, so that rounds off our men's teams. And in the women's, it's where it gets a little bit 
more interesting, a little bit complicated, as I said just a second ago, because they're results roundups, but kind of also not results roundups. Starting with the Sirens, John unfortunately didn't get their game played. A 28-0 victory to Watsonians. The Sirens just I had a team right up until, I think it was till Thursday night, Friday morning. There was a couple of couple of girls changed availability, and which made them struggle. And then the numbers kind of dwindled down off the back of that, which left the Sirens in a position not to be able to fulfil the fixture, which is obviously disappointing. Now, we've been having conversations internally. We've also been having conversations between me and Ross about what the potential connotations are for that. It all comes down to Scottish Rugby and what their competitions committee says. Traditionally, this is the second time this season that Sirens have failed to a fixture, which means they leave themselves open to a points deduction. Now, that points deduction can range anywhere between three points and five points. The competitions committee also have the ability not to deduct points. Like it's not as set in stone as the men's game where first one's a warning, second one you get points deducted, third one you get more points deducted, fourth one you're out. The women's competition reads that there's a couple of different options that they may choose to do. So we're basically in land of limbo. We need to wait and find out what happens if there's a three-point deduction. Theoretically, it can still be done. If it's a four-point deduction, it becomes even more difficult. Five-point deduction, it's almost it's almost done and dusted that the game that we've been building all season becomes a dead rubber because the sirens can't claw those points back from the deduction. So it's it's a tricky one. We're gonna we're gonna see what happens. We need to wait and find out. But it's disappointing for sirens that we've they haven't been able to field that team, but they certainly were giving it their all, tried their very best, and it's just been attrition this season, you know, playing in the premiership the first time, picking up lots of injuries, some new players that maybe to throw we so we made the conscious decision that we didn't want to throw people in to a premiership game that we felt didn't have experience to be able to handle premiership just for us to be able to to get teams out. So it's about player safety at the forefront over our league position, which hopefully they'll be able to take into consideration when they ask us for justification for it. But as what it is, we we talk about it all the time in the women's game. Numbers numbers are constantly tight, especially away games and injuries happen. Attrition rate with the women playing as often as they do because they don't have the big squads and the rotation, the, the legacy that the men's game have. So we'll just need to wait and see what happens with that. And on to another one that's a little bit, I suppose, not black and white. There needs some context, there needs some explanation, was Annam Warriors, who are playing Greenock. And should you go on the Scottish Rugby website, you will see that it was postponed due to injury. Yeah, the game barely kicked off from Honest with Roscoe. I think the time on the clock was, I'm going to say four minutes. I had one report that said three minutes, one report that said five minutes. So I'm going to split them down the middle and say four minutes. 
But unfortunately for Annan, it was an Annan injury. Shirley Ewart making her return from a long, long, long time off. She was one of the original Annan Warriors prior to the reprisal of the Annan Warriors that are currently kicking around now. She was one of the ones way, way before that who made a return through walking rugby. Four weeks ago, decided that she was going to take rugby back up and maybe play a game for the Warriors. This was going to be her first game in three minutes. She's managed to break her leg, unfortunately. The good news, if anything, to come out of it is that it's a reasonably clean break, which will need pinned and plated, uh, we would we would imagine. I've known a few folk that have broken their legs and pins and plates are pretty common. So I'd imagine she'll, she'll need to go through that sort of operation and that recovery, which is not great, especially not great when you're um, coming back for a first game after a, after a long layoff. So we're wishing her all the very best in her recovery. At that point, obviously, the game got, got called off and abandoned. So, yeah, one of those things that happens, isn't it? Rugby sometimes pick up a bit of injury, so it's unfortunate for Shirley. We wish her all the best. Yeah, absolutely. All the best to Shirley and everyone that was there as well. Another really good win for Shire. We know we had we know they had that little bit of a blip, if you can even call it a blip, against a very, very strong air side. But apart from that, take that out, they are absolutely flying and looking really good at the moment. They put Oban Lorne to the sword 58-12. A big 58-12 win for the Shire ladies against what was a big Oban side. The first half was noticeable that Oban had been travelling for a considerable amount of time as they took a while to come to life. Neve scoring in the first two or three minutes of the game. They continued to have more tries unanswered, notably from Carla Campbell, who scored a hat-trick. Cheeky pick and go round the corner at the side of the rocks and some big forward carries resulted in some more tries from Hannah Owen, Rachel Reed, Caitlin Young. A well-organised backline move allowed Lauren McCulloch, Sophie Mann and a great try from Shona Burkhead who, starting on the wing, had found herself playing fullback. Oban managed to redeem themselves with two tries before the final whistle. Notable good performances from Carla Campbell, Lauren McCulloch and Caelan Young. Shona Burkhead earning Shire's Player of the Match for her adaptability and try-saving tackles and all-round great performance. And another Player of the Match from Oban, this time to Neve Finlay, who on writing the match report doesn't want to give me a reason why because she doesn't want to sound like a... So... It's now that part of the podcast where we get strapped in, get some popcorn, maybe a drink, make sure you're comfortable, find a blanket, because it's time for Ross Strawbridge's comprehensive match report for Dumfries ladies, who once again fulfilled their fixture, which is something you'll come on to, I'm sure, John, but just to give a shout out to them, they've been fantastic so far this season at, at making sure they get teams out and Everyone's getting a run around and the progression is there and we're getting match reports and everything is just going swimmingly and we're chuffed to see that. So get ready, 
because I'm sure it's going to be another good one. And once again, we are not going to do Roscoe a disservice. Try and paraphrase him. We are going to go word for word his match report on a historic day. As Paddy said, twenty. I think what did he say? Twenty four years, twenty four, twenty five years since the Saints last had a ladies team. So it's it's uh, it was great to see them getting a home game after all the travels that they've they've had to make. So here we go. The ladies ran out on the main pitch at Park Farm versus Glasgow Uni and in no time began putting on a show for the crowd of over 100 people in attendance. Straight off the night shift and not letting that stop her, Briney at 10 looped Emily and attacked the space to put Dumfries 5-0 up. From the restart, Tara attacked up the middle of the pitch and what seemed like half of the university hanging off of her. An offload to Tasha to get onto the score sheet 10 0. Dumfries really began playing some great rugby with an interchange between Tony and Briney, with Cady running a saving line to leave the uni defence, wondering where the players were or the ball was. Cady managed to cross the whitewash to make it 15 0. Brodie making her comeback, collected the kick, brushed off the defender, and put Annabelle into the clear to put Dumfries 20-0 up at half-time. Head coach and all-round great guy Richard made some substitutions. And what an inspiration Benny was only on the pitch, stole the ball, the great steal, slipped the tackle and ran 25 metres in to score Saints' 25th point. Abby Tate capitalised on a scuffed restart to put the Saints in a great attacking position. Emily popped the ball up to the oncoming Cara to bulldoze the defenders and score 30 points to nil. Yet another mistake at the kick allowed quick thinking from Briney to put the ball wide to the hot-stepping Derry to dance through two defenders in front of her and score a lovely try. 35-0. Seven tries, seven different scorers. Briney not happy with just playing Santa through a dummy that most of the crowd were sold on, never mind the opposition opening up some space in front of her to go through the gap and rounded the covering winger to get a magnificent score for herself and eighth of the match, 40-0 Saints. With an impressive never-say-die attitude, Glasgow Uni pulled not one but two tries back to make it 40-10 before Annabelle sealed the win with the last play of the game, scissoring with Abbey R to explode into the open field and score with the game ending 45-10. The second game of the day was against Greenock, with the fans' expectations growing after the first match. Abbey R, who had been carrying hard yards in the first game, got a reward running a lovely support line on the shoulder of Cady to get a score, 5-0 Saints. Next up, her namesake's turn, Abby T, scoring a try, only she could, breaking the first tackle, to step back inside to brush the second defender off before sliding over the line 10-0. Player of the day, Brody, made a break down the right-hand channel, handing off to the last defender to show not only she could put in a defensive masterclass, but was an attacking force to be reckoned with. 15-0 at halftime, the Richard and Ross double act, who had been guiding the ladies through so far, asked that they really focus on the defensive work they've been doing magnificently up until this point and shutting the opposition out as a great foundation into the second half, and those words of wisdom must have sunk in. There were some huge hits from Briney and Brody 
seemed to really take the win out of the Greenock attack. Annabelle scored a trademark Huddleston turnover and galloped through flailing defenders to make it 20-0 to the Saints. Rebecca scooped up a missed pass from Rennie out to Cady, who stepped inside, then outside, to score 25-0. Some toys appeared to spill out when Greenock defence had a pop at Cady after the try was given, given not that our Saints appeared to be too bothered because they were too busy celebrating the try. A messy restart and the referee pulling playback for an injury assessment on Greenock had a scrum attempt to play the ball down the blind side, fumbled the pass. Rebecca managed to pounce on the fumbled ball, scramble to her feet and proceed to hop step the length of the field to score a sublime individual score to end the game, 30 points to nil. One more game, bear with us. And this was the tough one, this was Mar. This was the challenge, this was the game that the girls would be looking forward to. Mar up in the final test of the day, Annabelle managed to catch the kickoff and made great yards down the pitch. Tony popped the ball up to Lucy, who broke the game line before the Saints' back line got it wide to Tasha to score 5-0. Both teams attempted to get a grip of the game, but it was the Saints through the ever-improving Annabelle got back on the score sheet, sheet powering over to make it 10-0 just before the break. Mar got a try of their own to make it 10-5 at half-time. Annabelle caught the restart above her head and the Saints ladies put the ball wide, attacking the channels with speed. Ball recycled out of contact and Brody collected to beat three defenders to score 15-5. Mar hit back and looked very dangerous. They did manage to score with seconds left on the clock to bring the final score to 15-10. Massive thank you has to be said from on behalf of Dumfries Saints to the three teams that travelled. Next week, they are going to Paisley, where we'll do another review of those games before we go any further with Rossi's report. We'll come back for part two. So let's quickly rattle through what we've got coming up this weekend. And originally, all the National League sides should off this weekend but Newton Stewart had a game cancelled earlier in the season against Gordonians away so this weekend they are rescheduled Saturday Newton are travelling up to Aberdeen Yep, Newton Stewart versus Gordonians this is the one they're just about a mirror image of each other, Gordonians probably just pipping it with their points difference slightly better than Newton Stewart's currently, but both on 35 points in the league. Newton have got a slightly better record with that draw at the weekend there, which keeps them on two losses, seven wins and one draw. Gordonians on three losses, seven wins and no draws. But Gordonians have the extra two bonus points. So this is the battle for what will be fourth place. Stockland sitting below them don't have a fixture this weekend because it's the rearranged game. So Newton Stewart Gordonians are fighting out for that fourth place position in the league. And Wiley will be hoping that his boys are able to travel well. It's not going to be a long distance, a long travel up there. Yeah, hopefully they'll get off the bus. Dumfries Saints and Stewartry both have a bye week, which is, as I said earlier, brilliant for me. 
because as I said at the start of the month, November is the month of my birthday and it has rolled around and it lands exactly this Saturday. So nice to have a little bye week, a little bit of a rest, no training this week. Looking forward to a pub crawl organised by, if you can believe it, a Mr. Andrew Picken for my birthday. So if anyone would like a couple of pints in Dumfries on Saturday, if you haven't got a game, then please do come along. Hopefully, Annan and Shire will be having some pints on Saturday, but only after they play and hopefully win. They're both away this weekend. Annan are playing DL and Shire are away to Straven. Yeah, as you say, Roscoe, both of them should be looking for some wins there. Straven sitting third bottom in the league, Shire sitting in second. You would be expecting Shire to hopefully, although it's a bit of travel and the Straven pitch is notoriously narrow. It's quite a small pitch unless they're playing on the 3G, which could be at this time of year. If it is on the 3G, Shire will be looking to try and make sure that that, they take advantage of that and be able to play the game that they want to be able to play. They've scored 236 points, but they'll be hoping that their defence is a little bit tighter than what it has been before having conceded 229 points. But all fingers should point towards a Shire victory there. Annan, on the other hand, not on the other hand, Annan on the same boat, sitting above DL in the league, having won the last game, the last time Annan played. They'll be hoping to try and build on that this weekend against DL, who are currently sitting bottom of the table. DL are still dangerous. They are still a threat to Annan because they have managed to put 229 points on the board compared to Annan's 182. But Annan have a slightly better defence, 245 against DL's 296. So that will be a tighter game than, well, we're assuming will be a tighter game than the Shire-Straven game. But it is an opportunity for Annan to double up and pick up another victory that is much, much needed for Jan and his men to get off the bottom of that table. Langham will be happy there yet again at home after, as we said, beating Forrester at home. They, this time, host Haddington, hoping for a similar, if not better, result. It is going to be a tough one for them. Haddington are second in that league. Langham sitting in fourth, even having played an extra game. They've only lost once, Haddington, going into this. So that is going to be a tough one for Langham. Hopefully, they manage to keep a phone signal over there and can keep us updated on Twitter because that will be a hotly contested game. So best of luck. Moffat are also at home, having had a bye last weekend, and they've got... Glasgow Uni Medics. It's going to be another tight one, Roscoe. Moffat currently sitting fourth in that league. Glasgow Uni Medics, two positions below them in sixth place. Only a handful of points splitting them. Five to be exact. So a win, a five point win for Glasgow will see them up and matching the points of Moffat. Buckmire and Irvin sort of running away a little bit with the league. Moffat really need to 
pick up a win here to be able to keep in touch with those guys. Although Irvine have played an extra two games, and which gives them the 10-point lead that they currently have. Moffat want to keep the pressure on them because Irvine seem to pick up, be picking up a bit of a head of steam. Burkmeyer as well, only losing one game, a couple of games in hand. They need, to, they need to be able to keep tabs on them. So good luck to Moffat. Ross and his charges there against Glasgow Unimedics. It's going to be a good game down at the home. So anybody who's kicking about for the weekend, if you're not invited to Ross's birthday, you could uh, go and pick up, get, pick up the game there. Stuart Sirens are away, unsurprisingly. As we said, the rest of their games for this season are all away. And this time it's Hillhead, Jordan Hill. Yeah. And by the time the game comes around, we will probably know the decision of Scottish rugby. And what the sirens need to be aware of is, yes, absolutely, this, this run-in is going to be tough. All their games are away. They know that they have lost against the oppositions that they're coming up against, leading into that fixture on the 9th of December. But this is going to be a bit of the character of the sirens. This is this is we're hoping. This is where we're going to see that character pull through. I think I read a stat or I read a report from them that it was the first time this season that the Sirens had ever not fulfilled a fixture because of lack of players. And they've now conceded two. And it has the very dangerous knife edge that this could all unravel in front of the Sirens and they could end up not only finishing bottom of the league, but potentially being disqualified if they can't keep getting teams to go out. There is a lot of battered and bruised bodies, but there is a bit of this where the sirens need to show that siren spirit and pull together and make sure that they've got some players that are available. And probably also asking a lot of the teams in D&G if they've got a free weekend to come and give them a hand because so massive for this region to have a team in the Premiership It'll be difficult for that to happen again, especially looking forward to the to the policies and the protocols that Scottish rugby are going to put in place for Premiership rugby in the next couple of years. If you don't meet certain standards and certain criteria, you won't be able to compete. And I'll be honest, I've seen that criteria. It's going to be really very difficult for any team in Dumfries and Galloway to be able to meet that criteria unless they're already in the Premiership. So. As a region, I don't think we can allow or we should be allowing the sirens to be relegated. I think we're going to need a call to arms for the region to get together, get arms around them and, and help them so that we can provide a pathway for girls in this region that don't they don't need to go to the central belt. They can play premiership rugby here in Dumfries and Galloway. And that's my plea. That's my plea to the region. And I know it's a surety team. But I would make the plea if it was Annan, I would make the plea if it was Shire, I'd make the plea if it was Dumfries. For me, as a region, we must have a team in the Premiership. And if the sirens go down and get disqualified or dropped out of the league, then I find that I think it'll be very difficult for another team from down here to to make that to make that leap in two years' time when the criteria changes. So that's my soapbox. I'll step off it. Hopefully hopefully they'll be able to pull through and be able to do something. This weekend, 
won't be one of those weekends that we can rally together, unfortunately, John, but as you say, hopefully it does happen in the future. The reason it doesn't happen is because Anne and Warriors host Air at home and Shire are travelling to Bigger in that West 1 Women's League. Both very tough fixtures, but rugby is rugby. Any game is winnable. Points are always on offer. Anything can happen. Yeah, bigger and air are the top two teams in that league. Of course, there is there is an element of it, Roscoe. Well, like I've I've played on a Saturday and played on a Sunday in my illustrious career, so there is a possibility that Annan and Shire could, if their players are feeling brave enough, be able to play on both days. But this game, this round of the fixtures for Annan and Shire certainly don't lend itself as you say, to be in an easy decision to be made by some of those players. Bigger in the air, top of the table, as we say, Shire in fourth, and in sitting second bottom. Shire are comfortable where they are. Fourth fourth is okay. Fourth's a good position to finish in. Annan still searching for that second win. They've only had one this season. They'll be hoping, obviously, we had chocolate on the podcast uh, an episode ago. They'll be looking to try and get that second win. They're, they're a better team than a one than a one victory. They'll be wanting to try and get another victory or two on the on the on the league table to be able to give themselves something to aim for and build on next season. As Chocolate says, they've got lots of players, good numbers. It's just the experience that they're needing. So hopefully they can find that and they can climb that table and put in a good performance. That, that's what this weekend is going to be about for both these teams, is it going to be about performance? What Paddy's talked about with his Dumfries Saints boys. Can they put a good shift in against what will be the two toughest teams they'll, they'll play against? And as we come full circle, we finish with Dumfries Ladies, who are playing their eighth, uh, I want to say eighth, and I want to say final competition or at least final scheduled so far competition this season, John. Yeah, we are travelling, as you say, up to Paisley. This is the last league fixture in their West Aspiring League. Saints are the only team to have successfully travelled to every fixture so far. So that is a massive achievement for them and themselves. And Ross's final comments and roundup to me uh, in his 50-page document... <laughs> message that he sent me was to look forward to hearing from Scottish Rugby for the plans for the final day and the National Bowl competition. So they obviously have high expectations at Saints and rightly so after what's been a phenomenal season for them. Their maiden season on their return for women's rugby in Dumfries. And uh, we look forward to seeing how they progress and what happens with them next year. And what happens with them at the end of this season? Do they get a trip to Murrayfield? The only thing we need, John, then, is some. Any other rugby business? What have you got for episode 49? So this week's Any Other Rugby Business, we are going to look at the Hearts and Balls versus the Scottish Police game, which is happening, what will be tonight, Wednesday night, Six o'clock up at Stirling County and we have multiple players from across Dumfries and Galloway going to be playing in that game. The police team is going to contain two sirens and two Shire girls and the Hearts and Balls 
are going to have two Shire girls and one Annan player. So we will give them all a little shout out. So in the police team from the Sirens, we have Lisa Ritchie and Claire Manson. And from Shire, we have Pamson Gilston and Hannah Owen, who are going to be playing for the police squads. And for the Hearts and Balls, Neve Wilson from Shire, Neve Finlay from Shire, and Kayleigh Warwick from Annan. Both the Scotland Police and the Hearts and Balls, first ever 15-a-side fixture. And it will go towards the She for He campaign, which is supporting solidarity movement for gender equality and the fight against violence against women. So two charities getting a bit there, Hearts and Balls are obviously a charity uh, for Scottish rugby and the police charity choosing that charity there from the United Nations Women's Initiative, he for she. Good luck to those guys playing. It's always great to get an invitation to play for an invitational side. So hope you thoroughly enjoy the day, the night and enjoy the game and I'm sure they'll enjoy the socials after. So a brilliant chat with Paddy, some results roundup, fixtures preview, any other rugby business, and even an invite to a pub crawl. You can't say that we don't cover all bases on the Dumfries and Galloway rugby podcast. Next week is the big one, 50, but until then, we look forward to the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway rugby podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a like and review on our social medias. Our Facebook page is Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are DG Rugby Pod. We also have the Score Predictor, which we run weekly, which will be on our social media accounts. And once again, thank you for any support that you offer the pod. It really does help us spread the word of rugby in Dumfries and Galloway across the country.